0: Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we do.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Vinny Hanke and I'm here with Jeff Ludington, the lead pastor of Generations Church. And we're beginning our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. We'll be exploring the themes and modern day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Morning, Jeff. Good morning, Vinny. How are you, sir? i'm well man we're hanging out in the venture the wild studios right
0: now because the church is getting a bunch of trees cut down and we couldn't do this without background noise so uh, i'm liking i'm liking being in a different studio
1: yeah it's a good time appreciate the hospitality all right let's talk about what we're doing uh we're going to be working our way through the heidelberg catechism can you give me just maybe some background on it what is a catechism first of all and where or what is heidelberg what what are we doing here
0: yeah so a lot of people, when they hear the word catechism, uh, if they have any exposure to the word at all, they think Catholic. Uh, Roman Catholics still practice a form of catechism today. Uh, but so do Lutherans, uh, so do some Methodists, some you know folks from a reform camp, uh, many people do. Presbyterians, there are many people that do this. But a catechism is simply a way of instructing or tra- teaching, training, by asking a fixed question and memorizing a fixed answer. And so the example I tend to use with people is, the way you learned your multiplication tables. Like I learned that nine times nine is eighty-one. I've just memorized that because I had to learn what is, you know, three times six, what is nine times nine. We just memorized those answers. And so now when I'm doing math, if I'm ever doing math for that reason, <laughs> right. now I know the answer. And so a catechism is that. It's a it's a series of questions and answers. It's designed to be memorized. And the point would be to teach us our faith.
1: Okay. Awesome. Would you say that this is something that works? What's its relationship to Scripture? Does it work alongside it, yeah. above it, underneath it? Well, how would you pair those two things? If That's if good. Yeah, I, And
0: I never answered your, your question about Heidenberg. I think we'll circle back to that. So if we talk about authority in our lives, right, that uh, we're a people that believe that Scripture alone is the authority in our life. And so... Scripture alone does not mean that you can just take off into the woods, you and your Bible, and whatever you come up with out of the Bible that you think is true, is true. That doesn't—it doesn't mean that. I mean, there there is a, there is an idea that the Bible does say something, and I, I get that churches or people or streams or groups of churches have some differences, but for the most part, we have a consistent what we believe about Scripture, and in our tradition, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is. A, a confession or a statement about what we believe. And so it is authoritative in the sense that we believe that that's true. We don't believe it's infallible. We believe it is true about what we believe, but it is only as true as it proves the, to be true to the Bible. So the Bible's our ultimate authority, right? We have history. We're in our, you know, just over 2000 years of church history. Uh, there are things, and when we talk about what's in the catechism, we'll talk about this in a minute, but uh, it contains things like the Apostles' Creed, which came out of, you know, about 300 years after the actual apostles lived. There was this creed or a, conf- a belief, a confession. And uh, so these are things that are subject to Scripture, but we put them as authoritative in our life, only, again, again, only as they prove Scripture to be true
1: okay so you mentioned so the catechism would be a, a teaching tool help us to learn develop our faith it's, it's something we can use to memorize and and learn what's its connection in you also mentioned the history of the church what's its connection to history
0: yeah so about 500 years ago in fact uh, 1563 so we're almost you know we just passed the 450 year anniversary we're coming up on 500 years this was a a tool that was created and so what was going on in the church at that time is uh, what was called the Protestant Reformation. You know, it, it had been happening for about 100 years, and that was birthed out of a really bad era in the Roman Catholic Church. There was a lot of sin and a lot of problem in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, so much so that most Roman Catholics today would say that that was one of their darkest eras as a church. Mm-hmm. And so people began to protest the Roman Catholic Church. They, they desired to reform it or fix it, And so, out of that, what you get is what we call the Protestant Reformation. Again, just over 500 years ago, this is birthed with characters like John Calvin, Martin Luther, some big names throughout history. And so, as this takes place, and the Roman Catholic Church decides they're not going to fix the problems inside of them unwillingly, but but as a last resort, folks like Luther and Calvin break away from the Roman Catholic Church. And so, now they've got, they're trying to get back to Scripture. And if I can just say this one of the issues was the authority of the Church and the authority of the Pope against the Bible, that they could correct it or add to it. And so the Reformers, those that were trying to correct it, were saying, no, that the authority is the Bible alone. So that's really important when we look at a creed, a confession, a catechism. The, the Bible is the authority. This is just what we believe the Bible says. And so that what they that they did is they commissioned a group of scholars, pastors, professors. Right, one one name that stands out for sure uh, is uh, is is Zacharias Ursinus, and I always have to look at it and say it right. Zacharias Ursinus is the main writer, and uh, the, his scribe was Caspar Olavinus. There was a bunch of other people that added to this. This was back during the Roman Empire. It was written in a place called Heidelberg, and so that's a city. That place is now modern-day Germany, and in fact, the language it was written in first is German, and so there is this history to it. So again, if we were just to round this out, 500 years ago, as what we would consider Christianity today is breaking away from Roman Catholicism of the day, they're now asking, like, how do we train our children? How do we... As we understand scripture, how do we train our children? And so a common way of doing that that had been done for hundreds of years was to create a catechism, a question and answer system, a tool by which we can teach other people, particularly our children.
1: Okay. So now that we've made some connections to history, how, why, we, why would we use this today? What, why would we use a catechism from 1563 in 2019? Can you think of some, some reasons?
0: Yeah, I'll give you a few. One is, uh, if what we believe today is true, uh, it isn't new, right? We read a Bible where Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He entered into human history 2,000 years ago, uh, which we're in the middle on Sundays. We're in the middle of a series through Isaiah, which is roughly 2,800 years ago, and we believe those things to be true today. And so we, we believe uniquely that the Bible, superintended by God, is given to us inerrant today, right? And so we have historical teachings. It is our job to understand them. And in our case as pastors, our job to teach them to others. But that that truth doesn't change. We may have to learn how to contextualize it. We may have to ask, okay, how do I use this in an era of internet, social media, technology, whatever, but the truth is still there. And the same thing is true about the catechism, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, let me be particular. Uh, this is one of the most widely used Protestant catechisms. It is not... Uniquely reformed, although it does have those theological leanings But this one is the one that has stood the test of time Again, almost 500 years where people still see it today as relevant and useful And so for me, it is tying ourselves to our history. It's tying ourselves to our faith uh, Just as we learn from the past uh, So the tools from the past are still useful it seems like in our era today, starting with really my age group, Gen Xers, forward, uh, and a little bit probably before me, we threw out the things of the past. Like, oh, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to get rid of all these things. And, you know, we're going to modernize our gospel. Well, the, the problem with that is sometimes what we need is a connection to the truth that's always been there.
1: In the introduction to the catechism, uh the Elector Frederick gives us some of his motivations for writing it, and I was working through them. I thought they were written in 1563, make absolute connection to today, right? So he talks about that the Church always needs to improve. One of his motivations yeah. for writing the Catechism that the Church always continues to strive and be reformed back to the authority of Scripture, back to the authority of Christ. That uh, His second motivation was that the youth are the future of the Church. And we talk about mm-hmm. that even across networks and denominations, there, there's huge initiatives to engage student in student discipleship. Yeah. Uh, he says, pastors are not always consistent with each other. One of the things this enables us to do is is give us an anchor point, right? We believe this is what the Bible teaches and we can right. measure ourselves against its summary. Uh, he continues, he says, uh, curious believers sometimes get stuck on irrelevant questions. Uh, if you remember, like one That's of the good. jokes of the Reformation is how many angels can fit on the head of a right, right. That became a discussion point in right. a major church conference doesn 't matter right uh, and then finally he says that uh, spotting heresy or false teaching can be more tricky than we think it just slides good. in super easy it's much of the New Testament's written to deal with false teaching right and so the catechism can be something we filter what we 're hearing from our pastors from our sermons what we're reading in our books we can filter it through this to see how it aligns with scriptural teaching
0: it's really good I you know so as pastors you and I do a lot of funerals we deal with a lot of people uh, who are enduring grief and mourning and suffering and they've lost a loved one um and there's this common thing that comes up that uh oh well my so-and-so my loved one became an angel today or yesterday or whatever they and so i i get what they're saying and and nobody ever wants to correct someone who's in the middle of grieving over a lost loved one Uh, but having a foundational doctrine says angels are not what people become right? That angels were created, and humans were created separately, and they are different kinds of beings, and humans don't become angels. Like having, that is a that is a statement of well-intentioned people who are just speaking about their loved ones, so I'm not really, you know, coming down hard on them, but it's just a misunderstanding of theology, right? right. And I think in our culture today, our modern American, Western American Christian church culture is, uh, and oddly enough, with information at the tips of our fingers everywhere we're very uneducated and so this is a way for me of something consistent that everybody can be learning that asks all those questions it doesn't drift into irrelevant things it does fix doctrinal issues it does teach about the nature of spiritual beings in a sense it talks about the nature of human beings right Uh, it can keep us on track Mm -hmm. another thing we haven't said yet is it's broken into 52, what it calls is Lord's Days, but it's 52 right. basically weekly sections. Right. right, so now we're getting
1: into the structure and yeah. kind of layout. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you mentioned Lord's Days. Uh, those are simply meant to be one-week periods, right. right? So there's 52 right. of those, 52 weeks in a year. Within those Lord's Days, there's questions and answers. Right. Um, there's 129 questions and answers total in the Catechism. So if you're going to memorize it, uh, it's probably best to get a written copy of it, something you right. can carry with you. Um, those are easily picked up online. There's um, an
0: app on an iphone for it i mean like you can't yeah, miss this so right. it's, it's easy. it may be almost 500 years old but people are still using this constantly today enough to say there's iphone apps there's pdf right. copies there's relevant stuff yeah so
1: if you're listening along you want to continue with us make sure you pick one of those up you also mentioned earlier that uh the catechism does something unique in that it, it explores some other pieces and parts it's not its mm-hmm. own thing it actually explores some of the other uh, pieces of theological truth from history, Uh, one of those being the Apostles' Creed, uh, the other the Ten Commandments, and even the Lord's Prayer Prayer. are all covered within the context of that. Uh, There's some three major themes. If you're a catechism fan like me, you hold those close to your heart. It's the title of our series. Uh, But we want to talk a little bit about the themes. Sure.
0: Like you said, we chose the name coming out of this, that guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so if you were to break the catechism with the exception of the first day, the first Lord's Day or the first Two questions. Uh, if you were to break the rest of it, it fits neatly into three categories. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Now, somebody later put that together. I'm sure somebody Baptist who likes alliteration, <laughs> and I know you do, so I'm not right, making fun. Absolutely. But yeah, no worries. they took that first section, and really, what is man's guilt? And it spends the least amount of time on man's guilt, but it wants to make a profound point that man is deeply broken, flawed, guilty, sinful. And so... it. it allowing us to understand why we need a savior. So the second part is obviously grace, what Jesus has done for us. And it spends a great amount of time on what Jesus has done for us. And so that's grace. And then gratitude is really answering the question. The third section answers the the large question, how do we respond to all this? How do we live in light of Jesus taking us from our deep depravity and guilt and lavishing grace upon us in his salvation, his gospel, his work for us, what do we do with all this? Yep. And so like you said, if if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, oh, a catechism, that's not the Bible. We just need the Bible. Again, it covers the Lord's Prayer, covers the Ten Commandments, covers the Apostles' Creed, which almost every Christian has heard used in church in their life.
1: Yep. And yeah, if you get a good copy of the catechism, a physical book copy, um, you'll see that the questions and answers are littered with footnotes, and inside those footnotes, you will find scriptural references and anchor points for the truth that the authors put together. Uh, So if you're keeping track, if you're kind of nerdy, you really want to know the structure, I'll I'll lay it out for you. Um, We talk about guilt in Lord's Day 2 through 4. We talk about grace, as Jeff said, in the longest section. That's 26 Lord's Days in 5 through 31. And then gratitude, how we are to respond to the grace we've received, is found in Lord's Days 32 through 52. The whole second part of the Catechism is an expansion of the Apostles' Creed, the summary of uh, Jesus's teaching. And then the third section deals with the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer structurally.
0: Let me ask you a question. I know you're So I wasn't raised in the church. You came in as a kid in grade school, and you've grown up more in it. Uh, You've been in a church that has uh, used the Heidelberg Catechism over different times. So I didn't. So what is your earliest recollection of the Heidelberg? And I know you have some personal connection. I know you've used this also in your family. Would Would you share that?
1: Yeah, it's actually not what you would think. But uh, my earliest memory of the catechism is uh, the living room of my in-law's home. Oh. Uh, so I grew up in Southern California, which, you know, heavily influenced by dispensational teaching. So I grew up listening to dispensational teaching radio. I began dating a, a Dutch reformed uh, daughter. Uh, and so my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, began to fight about God's sovereignty and election, uh, God's providence. And so my earliest memory of the catechism is my father-in-law shoving a copy into my chest and saying, here, don't argue with me, <laughs> argue with history and scripture. Uh, and I dug in and began reading, and and that, along with some influence and discipleship from you, really opened my eyes to who God was, how he had saved me, and how he had rescued me. And It became something that um, for me, just became a great uh, text of affection. It wasn't just a teaching tool anymore. It was something that God used in shaping my soul. And so that was my first interaction with it, mm-hmm. was I was going to read it to correct my father, my future father-in-law, if you can believe it. And uh, God well, used it to correct me. Well, shout out
0: to me. Ron Mantel, man. That's that legit. is
1: amazing. That's super cool. I love yeah. Ron. Yeah. So it's got huge, for me, huge relevance to my life and faith. I've used it with my children. Um, we talk about it um, all the time, uh, even with my wife uh, and I, this year we lost my dad. And so Mm. question one, which we'll do with in our next episode begins, what is your only comfort in life and death? Um, and so we've looked to it continually for the affection, um, and affirmation that it brings of the gospel of Christ, especially in moments when we've hurt, um, or dealing with this tough stuff of life. So
0: if you are a young, um,
1: if you're a young
0: person who either, uh, has come to faith, or uh, has been uh, has been a, a Christian since you were young, and, and you're desiring to grow in your faith. Here's what I heard, um, Vinny. I know you were young when you started to date Sherry. You're a young man, and uh, maybe Ron's approach you've just kind of shove it into your chest maybe that wasn't <laughs> right.
1: um, not the best what, evangelical strategy. Yeah, uh,
0: we well, you know, so we'll just we'll let that slide. Maybe there's another way to do that. But here's the outcome: a young Christian uh you'd been a christian since you were a kid you're now a young man so it'd been a few years but you had ideas about what was true and not true you'd heard some things on the radio maybe you made some assumptions from culture or whatever else right you had not necessarily learned anything contrary in the church that you were in uh and but your father-in-law having a desire to pass on a more historical, more accurate faith yep. to you yeah. does give you the Heidelberg Catechism, and over your journey of studying, even if you decided to look at it to try and prove your father-in-law wrong, which sounds like a lot of young people, right? A lot of yep. I was like that. You know, you want to be right, but you but if you're open-hearted and and you're, if you're humble, uh, the truth will come to you, whether you're right or they're right. You know, and it, it'll you'll wrestle with it. And the outcome of this, again, I, we can we can joke about some of the ways it happened, but the outcome of this is this: the grandson of that man yep. was taught the Heidelberg Catechism by his father, yep. who was given to him by, yep. you know. So yeah. that is that generational passing on. So if I were to say what I desire for this, is I desire to see people trained up in their faith, right? And this is a way that has been going on for generations. Right. And, and now we're, we see that play out in your life. Uh, I came to faith as an adult. I, I wasn't mentored in this way. I read about this in studying and I fell in love with it from the outside. Right. Yeah. And so, um, what we hope to do is have that generational handing off. We hope to hand that off to the other people that we get to, that we get to pastor, that we get to shepherd, that we know.
1: So again, if you're listening, following us online, uh, that's our great goal is that not only would this be something that you take and appreciate and helps develop your faith but it'd be also something you take and pass on to the next generation whoever that be whether it's in your living room your workplace uh, your small group whatever it is yeah awesome well, I appreciate your time Jeff and I'm excited to jump into studying the catechism with you uh, listeners make sure you visit us at genfamily.church and follow us online for more episodes
0: yeah hey I'd say the same thing stay tuned uh, this is going to be good. I'm excited about this. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at Church.